How to use your knowledge for God is the title of this message. Did you know, my beloved brothers and sisters and my friends, that you are responsible for what you know about God? It goes along with how you use and manage all that God has given you, what he has allowed you to have and possess. Everything you own comes from God, the maker and giver of life. So actually, even these clothes on our backs, we don't actually own them. They belong to God because he has allowed us to have them, actually. You and I sadly have to be reminded of this often, actually week after week. This is what Pastor Jeff and I have been called to do, to remind you and remind ourselves who we are, who God is, and how that relationship should be in our lives. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul explains, So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's secrets. Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful explaining God's secrets, the mystery of the plan of salvation. And we all know that before we came to Christ, the plan of salvation was fuzzy to us. We didn't understand it. We can't, be, uh, we can't comprehend it with human wisdom. But after we come to Christ, we're entrusted with taking this precious message that we have and, and giving it to the world, actually. When we accepted Christ and embraced his salvation, we became enlightened in this secret the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ became clear to each one of us who are his children. With it came the responsibility. We became stewards of all God has given us. A steward is this, one who manages another's property, finances, or other affairs, an administrator, a supervisor. We as followers of Christ have been called to manage God's property. We have been called to manage God's finances and manage his church, and all the affairs of what following Christ entails. Most of the time, when we talk about stewardship, our minds are usually drawn to money. It usually are. Uh, we talk about time and talents and treasures. Uh, it kind of, this, this is kind of usually the message we get. Here, here's a clip entitled, 90 Seconds on Stewardship, and it, you get an understanding of what we usually talk about. Around and we'll talk about money and stewardship and all of this in 90 seconds. Money. Churches don't like to talk about it. In fact, we are more likely to talk about intimate things like sexuality before we talk about your finances. But here's the catch. Jesus talks about the dangers of money more than any other single issue. He knew that possessions have a unique ability to possess us and become the shrine at which we worship. This is why frank talk about biblical stewardship is important. The goal of such talk is not to build the church's budget per se, but rather to guide you in what it means to receive God's provision and respond with a thankful heart. So what is the key to biblical stewardship? Stewardship begins with the recognition that God gives us everything we have. In the Bible, to tithe is to return at least 10% to God in joyful recognition that the whole of what we have comes from Him. So we don't wait to see what's left over at the end of the month to write a check. But rather, we give in order to give thanks to God for opening His hand and satisfying our needs. The simple act of tithing sanctifies the whole of what God gives for our use. Owing to the idolatrous nature of our hearts, this thankful response is crucial. 
When God entrusts his gifts to us, we are to receive them with thanksgiving. This means there is to be gratitude and obedience. Unfortunately, our bent is to receive God's gifts and enjoy them without reference to him. When not practicing biblical stewardship, God's gifts become our possessions. We cling to them and begin to love them more than we love God. With our finances, this is especially the case. And so our goal is to have our hearts set free from the love of money. This requires that we experience something more valuable, something more significant than earthly goods. The only thing that can possibly do this is the gospel, in which we learn of the one who was rich, yet for our sake became poor, that we, through his poverty, might become rich in being reconciled to God. It is in the grip of this gospel that we can be set free to love and serve God with our finances. We think about that and we we think about treasure and there's time and there's talents involved, but stewardship goes beyond that. Everything that we do, everything we have, everything we own, all of our actions, it's all involved in stewardship. These three areas are just the beginning and the ways that God wants us to use our resources. And one of the biggest resources that we have that we don't think about is knowledge. It's, it's what you have learned about God. We, we continue to take it in, but does it ever go out? I've heard a lot of preachers use the, the illustration of, of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea in Israel, which I was allowed to see in 88. Man, the Sea of Galilee is great. It's full of fish, and you can swim. And there was places where it's real clear. Well, it runs down. The Jordan River runs on down, and it runs into the Dead Sea. But it, it stops there. It takes all this fresh water in, but it never gives it out. And you stick your hand in the Dead Sea, and it's, it's oily and slimy because of all the minerals in it. And if you jump in it, you don't sink. I don't know if you've ever, anybody's ever went swimming in the Great Salt Lake. You don't sink. It's just weird. You're, stand, you're out there just bobbing, or, bobbing around. Well, that's, that's like the Dead Sea is, but it never gives out. And I wonder sometimes we as followers of Christ, when all we soak in, all that we read, all that we hear in messages, we take it in and we take it out, but do we ever give it out? And I, I think if we don't give it out, we, we can become like the Dead Sea and, and become, become stagnant. But we live in a world of the surge of data. It's everywhere. According to recent surveys, nearly three-fourths of us, 72.7%, say our daily data stream is a roaring river, a flood, or a massive tidal wave. And 48.5% of us admit that we are connected to the web from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed. It is always at our disposal. It is there. It has become part of our lives, an intricate part for many people. And the good thing is we do have information at our fingertips now more than any before. If I want to know something, all I've got to do, Google it, and boom, there it is. It, that, that's an amazing thing that people in the past didn't have that. But uh, who remembers TVs without remotes? That's why God's got married. Hey, baby, could you get up and switch to channel two? You know what I'm saying? That's, that's a, that, that was the deal. But now, I mean, and, and boy... You ever lose a remote in your house? You think the end of the world has come. You're digging up, turning chairs over and throwing cushions off the couch. Man, I don't know where that remote is. Diana Marie puts it somewhere, someplace that I don't know where it's at, and then I go through that. Uh, anyhow, Pastor Jeff, i tell you what I was thinking about. 
I wished everybody talked like you, and then I wouldn't have to spend thousands of dollars on hearing aids. That's what I'm saying. I appreciate that. This man has passion, and I, I, I do appreciate that. Now, um, well, I'm not going to say that. I better, I better move on. I get sidetracked pretty easy. My, yeah, yeah. With my infantile mind, I need, I need to move on. But anyhow, knowledge. The bad thing is that we don't know how to steward this unprecedented and powerful resource, our knowledge. Mark Knoll, in his book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, opens with this sad sentence. The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind, is what he is saying. We listen, we, we become more like sheep maybe than we should. We don't think about it ourselves. We just take everything at face value because we're so busy and we move on. He is saying that as the followers of Christ, we should take this information in and pray about it and ponder to see how we can put it back into circulation for the good of God. More of us need to think of thinking as an essential part of our service to God. Harry Blameyers, one of C.S. Lewis's students at Oxford, made the case in his book, The Christian Mind. The Christian mind is the prerequisite of Christian thinking, and Christian thinking is the prerequisite for Christian action things that we do. Christ manifests himself in our lives and we go out and serve people. We've done that because we've thought about it. Thinking about what we already know and what hopefully we continue to learn about Christ and putting that into action daily through social media as well as all other forms of communication. Because even for us dinosaurs, social media has become such a part of our lives and our communication system. It's around us all the time. We live in it. And if you can't do it, you're left out. That was, uh, <laughs> Steve has come up with another app. I mean, I've had this phone and computers a while, but now when I say app, I know what I'm talking about. I used to, I just said it just because everybody else said it. I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. But anyhow, there's an app that revives Sullivan. He wants all of us to get on it to, to in, inform each other and uh, for him to let us know what's going on. Well, a couple of the, the pastors around here they uh, emailed back or texted or whatever, says, well, you know, we can't, we're not technological giants and we can't do this and whatever. And I say things I shouldn't. So do you know what I sent out to the whole bunch? I said, even dinosaurs evolve. <laughs> Speaking of myself, you can evolve a little bit and try to learn this thing, but I didn't get much feedback, actually. I, it, it, it's, the, it's the prophetic words of my lovely and beautiful wife when I do things like that, her words come wafting through time and stick in my mind, and they are bright and outlined that said, you're not near as funny as you think you are. <laughs> so I'm learning. It's taken a long time, and I'm getting there. But anyhow, I'm always in trouble, Pastor Jeff, with something. So think about these questions for a minute. How much time do you spend on your phone or your iPad or your computer as you think about your day. And how much of that time, whether it's texting, Twitter, Facebook, email, is spent revealing your knowledge of God? Is God ever in your text? Is the power of the Holy Spirit ever in your text? Is something that you read that really jumped out of you, is it ever in your text? Sharing with others about what God means to you and what he's done for you, what he's doing now, what he's going to do in the future. We talk about data and, and all this information. 
in the, in the foyer out there, in the hospitality room, there are these books that says, Seek God for the City, 2017. They go from Lent to Easter. I should have passed them out last week. It started March 1st, so I apologize for that, but you can catch up. There's all kinds of information in there, how you can pray, and, and, and every day's got something different. Day 17, to advance citywide movements, and then pray on behalf of Asia and the Pacific. They, are, they have a lot of information, so take one per family, take that home, and, and, and use it. But what it does, it moves believers to pray for many issues uh, that's going on in our world and be able to share those issues with those around you. This is what knowledge stewardship is. It's to see men and women who love and serve God harness this information for His glory and empower the churches and organizations around the world. Are you a knowledge steward? Is this something that makes sense to you? How would you answer these following questions? How do you handle the information that you come across on a daily basis in your life, work, and ministry. How do you handle that information, what you learn? How does my faith impact how I respond to that information? When I make decisions, to, do I utilize information that I have gathered? When I have acquired knowledge, how good am I at sharing it with those who would also benefit from it as they seek to be faithful knowledge stewards? And how much is my surfing on the web spent in spiritual searching wanting to learn more about God? Uh, my wife buys me great books, and this is from a guy named O.S. Hawkins. It's called VIP, Very Influential Person, How to Influence with Vision, Integrity, and Purpose. And I just started this book, and I ran across this. He's talking about social media. He, he actually is talking about narcissism and how we get wrapped up in ourselves, and a lot of times we, we, social media is huge for that. He said, let me ask you these questions. How often do you check your Facebook, Twitter, or other social media pages? After you post something, do you hurry back to see how many likes you have, how many favorites are listed, and how many pats on the back you received? Does the number of likes have any impact on how you feel about yourself during your day? If we are truly honest, most of us would have to admit to at least a little bit of ego-driven narcissism, and social media can help us recognize that in ourselves. Today's social media craze has a dual effect on our culture. Facebook, for example, can be a great tool for reestablishing relationships that have lain dormant for years. But in too many cases, this desire within us for importance has led to the destruction of long-time relationships, even marriages. More than one divorce has occurred due to someone reconnecting with an old high school sweetheart after many years. This is the tragedy about our world and how things are perverted and how our enemy, the devil, can make things that are good bad. Everything that God has given us that's good, there is a way that Satan has taken that to pervert it and make it work against us. And that's why we always have to be on guard because your enemy like a roaring lion is seeking who he may devour. And I hate to say this today, but I do believe it's true that through social media, he's taken a lot of big bites out of people, out of their lives, out of their souls, out of their families. I, I can't reiterate that enough. Because I, I know the effects. I, I have seen it. People that are knowledge stewards excel at something all of us were created to do, to know and be known. That's who we are. We want to be known and we want to know. It's our nature to want to know things and act on that. Knowledge is the mother of invention and the foundation of every successful plan. So the better that we, the, the better that we understand knowledge, the better off that we will be in the knowledge of God and be able to uh, impact others. Can you imagine a world without knowing? 
The better we understand how knowledge works, the better prepared we'll be. Each one of us has a story. Each one of us. We look around and we think, man, his story's better than mine. Not really. Because everyone in here could stand, if we took the time and stand right where you're sitting and give your story of your life, we'd be here for a while, but nonetheless, it's true. We all have our own stories, where we come from, how we were raised, what, what made us and what molded us. And this is the story that is precious to our lives because you're the only one that has it. It's unique. Nobody else has your story. And there are people in life as we live and move and breathe in this world that need to hear your story because they are at a place that you were at. Only people that's been there understand it. You can't take people someplace you haven't been. That's why I guess in my life that I've been so big on, on missions and going places and then asking you to come with me or to go, it's hard for me to tell you to go somewhere if, if I've never been there or I don't go. That's, that's just how ministry has worked in my life. And I do believe it's like this, that you rub elbows every day with people that would greatly benefit from your story, your experiences, your knowledge, how God has affected your life. Here's where a man's knowledge started in a place called the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, 4 through 9. This is my account of the way that it began. This is what I believe is what the Bible says. We can hear all kinds of philosophies, but I stake my life on this. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, there were no plants or grain growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not sent any rain, and no one was there to cultivate the soil. But water came up out of the ground and watered all the land. It didn't rain till the flood. And the Lord God formed a man's body out from the dust of the ground and breathed into it the breath of life, the, the start of immortality. God's breath in Adam's nostrils made us living souls with living spirits that will never die. And the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had created. And the Lord God planted all sorts of trees in the garden, beautiful trees that produced delicious fruit. And at the center of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We could name this true story, Adam and Eve, and the unusual trees, actually. So the first humans God created were children of the light, Adam and Eve, and they knew God intimately. They heard God's voice. He would speak to them. He gave them knowledge. They needed to steward this vibrant garden care for the land, shepherd the animals, and bless each other. Some of you have probably been to pristine places on this planet that man has hardly touched, but it's not long when you get to looking around, you'll see a discarded can or a piece of paper or whatever and know that we've been there and trashed the place, actually. But the Garden of Eden, what it, what it would have been like, the smells of, of, of clean air water unpolluted. I can go on and on. I can't hardly grasp it. And the relationship that they had with the animals. I can imagine Eve talking to Adam while she's brushing the coat of a, of a, of a lion or sitting there looking eye to eye with a silverback gorilla. That's beyond me. And you got to understand that they were naked, so they probably didn't get too close to the porcupines, if you know what I mean. But nonetheless, that's hard for us. We're afraid of big animals like that. I mean, you try to get close to them, it just don't work. Sin messed everything up. Among the resources God commanded Adam and Eve to steward were two unusual trees. 
tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as we see in Genesis 2 and 3, unusual trees require unusual guidelines. So God issued strict rules about these two trees. Do not eat the fruit of this tree. And I'm sure that he said it more than once, and you wonder what part of that that Adam and Eve didn't get. Or what will happen? You will surely die. I believe the Garden of Eden offered Adam and Eve plenty of healthy, tasty food options. I can't imagine what was hanging on those trees to eat. But the evil one tempted them. It always amazes me when I read and I study and I hear people talk about that. At that point in time, snakes walked upright. If he was a boa, he'd have been a tall rascal, wouldn't he? Part of the curse was them crawling on their belly. So Satan came in the form of a snake and tempted them. And these two serpent, these two stewards now wanted to be owners. Hey, you don't have to listen to God. It is the way it is today as Satan speaks to our hearts. You don't have to listen to God. If you want to do that, you are your own person. You just do it. He doesn't tell you about the consequences, but he does say things like, it's all right. God will forgive you. Go ahead and do that. That's, this is what was happening here. That instead of being stewards and taking care of what God had given them, now they wanted to own the place. Call it the first workplace dispute, but these Two workers took their wonderful freedom for granted and demanded the right to do as they pleased. We will write the rules. You can keep your rules, God, and all that you want us to do, but you know what? I think we're going to write our own. So they took from the forbidden tree, and they overstepped their bounds as stewards, and they violated their calling. Unintended consequences followed. Disobedience opened the door to sin. Evil pollutes and God's perfect creation, and Adam and Eve had fell, and so did we, and so did humanity's approach to knowledge. The end of innocence. Now, we, we shudder at the thought and what happens in our world when somebody steals a child's innocence. It's beyond anything we can imagine. But it happens, and it happens too often, actually. The end of innocence. Adam and Eve's innocence was gone. And they looked at each other and said, man, you need some clothes on. It came on them all at once because of their sin. Death came, became intimate in every human being because of sin. We try to put this conversation together. Can you imagine Adam said God who had found the couple? Well, actually, they were hiding. Now that there's a wall of sin between us, you can't do the job I put you on earth to do without help. I know, Yahweh, said Adam, slumping his shoulders after another hard day's work. Ever since the encounter with the spatial trees, it seems I know more than ever, but actually understand less than ever. What's this all about? God paused to appreciate Adam's humble insights. God said, you were not designed to be the source of light in this land. That's my job. You were designed to be the stewards of my knowledge. When you took that bite, you discarded your calling and claimed mine. You're trying to drink from a waterfall. It's too much for you. And I see, said Adam, saying, so what now? That's when Eve spoke up. You imagine Eve speaking up. But creator, she said, we know we are not you, but we know more now than about how you feel. I never really thought about that before. They kind of understood what, how God felt. We experience only a tiny bit of your burden, but each day this knowing steals our life away. We are dying here. What can we do? 
You see, when they sinned, it, it brought in worry. It, it brought in all these other concerns that they didn't have before. They lived in total peace. Total peace. No stress. Try to wrap your mind around that. We've created a tremendous amount of stress in our lives, all of us. Nobody's immune. Even in young children have stress anymore. They are, they are pushed to excel on and on, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think sometimes we, we cross the line on that. But they lived in no stress, but now they had it. Now they had to work. The sweat of their brow, make a living, so to speak. They got kicked out of the garden, on and on and on. Okay, said God, now I'm sure he softened and viewed his beloved creatures with profound sorrow and pity. And God said, let's set up an offering. This is the way for you to declare to me that you are not the owner. You're returning that role to me. It's also a way for you to seek healing for the little deaths you experience each day. Boy, that, that, that spoke to me, the little deaths that we experience each day. Adam and Eve didn't have little deaths each day till they sinned. God says, you will sacrifice animals to me. Their lives will be received in substitution for your acts of betrayal. You have cost the lives of these creatures, you and you alone. If you again honor me as a creator and perform the required sacrifice, I will forgive you and strengthen you to be the stewards I dreamed you would be when I made you. That's when it started. With the slitting of animals' throats and the sprinkling of that life-giving substance on the elder to substitute for what they did. I say this a lot, but... It, I don't think we, we can grasp even a minute part of it. The Pandora's box that opened when they sinned that, w that came upon mankind. Because, see, I think that's where spiders and mosquitoes came from, and I can't prove that, but nonetheless. Adam and Eve's story is, is our story. God's first stewards claimed ownership of God's creation. The fall twisted our abilities to steward knowledge. Sin has tainted every aspect of life. Today you and I are loaded down with sin and guilt and worry. We have to admit it. It affects us all. We can say nothing bothers me and on and on, but I don't believe you. I, I know how it is in life. I, I know what happens. And I know that we have a, a stinking enemy that's, that wants us to be filled with sin and guilt and worry. He doesn't want you to have any peace. He brings up some of the most crazy things to mess you up with. In the wrong hands, knowledge became a double-edged weapon that destroyed both creation and those who steward it. But in the hands of a faithful knowledge steward, information can be a powerful force for good and for the work of God's kingdom. Ideally, the knowledge that we have in our heads should be wrapped around and established by God when he created us. But we know that's not the case. Our efforts to know are complicated by the fact that we are fallen people with skewed perceptions. We see the light, but we see it dimly. We limit, are limited by our own darkness. And let's admit it, we are flawed creatures. And when we view a situation, when it comes to us, the majority of the time, which is a problem, we see that in our own eyes. We, we want to know how it's going to affect us and what we, what we can do about it, how we can fix it. We and I, they shouldn't be there. We should be able to see situations through God's eyes. How's God want me to handle this situation? 
this situation? How does God want me to act? What does God want me to do? But way too many times God's left out until we get between a rock and a hard spot. And then, boy, then we're on our faces before God. Oh, God, help me. Do this, do that. that that's who we are. That is the point. How can sinful, broken people truly know anything? Our hope comes not from our mastery of the world's knowledge. There are some great thinkers and great brilliant minds on this planet Earth. And they have soaked up and absorbed all the world's knowledge. But they've left God out of that process is the problem. Rather than embracing the humility or the world's knowledge, we need to embrace the humility of knowing. When wisdom demands that we relinquish our privileged role as owner of all information and return in our roles as stewards of God's vast resources. Answer these questions. What knowledge do I possess that God has called me to manage? What have you learned about God? It's in you. You know it. You need to manage that. What needs to be done with the knowledge I am stewarding? And how do I know if I'm being faithful to this calling of stewardship knowledge? 1 Peter 4, 6 to 11. I, I think it answers it for us. Listen to the message. It was preached to those believers who are now dead, and yet, even though they died just as all people must, they will still get in on the life that God has given in Jesus. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry and a bed to the homeless cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. If it's words, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll give all the credit as the one mighty in everything, on course to the end of time. Oh, yes, that's from Peterson's The Message. Makes this quote from Henry Blameyer make more sense to me from his book, The Christian Mind. The Christian mind is the prerequisite of Christian thinking, and Christian thinking is the prerequisite for Christian action. What does your mind dwell upon? Peter said, time's getting close. Don't take anything for granted. I think we take each other for granted. You ever take your spouse for granted? He said, stay wide awake in prayer, but most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. That's pretty pretty heavy language, isn't it? Do you love each other like your life depended on it? Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. These are the things that keep me up sometimes. These are the things that, that prick my heart, and I, I ponder them. There are millions of refugees in the world. It's a big issue. How do we as believers see that? That's the point. What, what does the Holy Spirit say to you about this situation? Be generous with the different things God gave you. Like I said, everything you have is, is his anyhow. Pass them around so all get in on it. If it's words, let it be God's words. Interject into people's life God's words, not our opinion. Our opinion might come later, but sh at first it ought to be what God says. God's word. I, I think it, 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 would, it would help us a lot if we're up front with people. You know what? It really doesn't matter so much what I think, but this is what God says. This is what his word says on that. If it's help, let it be God's hearty help. Taking the knowledge of God that 
that we learn and thinking about it, pondering about it, pondering on it, then praying and reasoning how God sees how this knowledge can be used in our world and then acting upon it and doing something with it to serve and to bless others. You are intelligent people. You all have a story. God has, has, is real to you or you wouldn't be here. If you didn't believe in God in the church, you wouldn't show up. There's something brought you here. It's your belief. It's your faith. And that faith is sacred to you. And it's your faith. And it's your story. And I'll guarantee you, if we are all in tune with the Holy Spirit this week, and, and we're listening and, 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 and doing what he asks us to do, that God will put you in a place that you can share some of this knowledge that you have soaked up. Don't be like the Dead Sea. <laughs> to just soak it up and soak I know people that are 20 times smarter in the Bible than me, but they keep it to themselves. What good is it? It's just good for them maybe to brag and, and maybe win a debate somewhere. And no, God has placed your story in you, and you're special. And, and my prayer is for you that, that as we think about the knowledge that we take in, that that's, there's an outlet that it comes out somewhere that you can touch others in this world that's dying. I'm not a negative person, but this, I think we're, it's, it's almost like we're, we're on a collision course and things don't get any better, it seems. We are divided in so many different areas today. We can't come to, come to agree on hardly anything. Well, we got to agree on Jesus. <laughs> and we've got to put that together and we got to move on on that. Lord, we love you and we give you praise and glory this morning for who you are and what you mean to us. And I thank you for these bright, intelligent, beautiful people, Lord, that you have called into your kingdom and made them your children. And along with that, you've given this tremendous responsibility to share what we know about you with our experiences and our wisdom, to share that with people that don't know you, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we're dishonest with you this morning. And if there's places in our lives we need to work on a little bit, most of us need to pray for boldness and courage because you give it to us, Holy Spirit. And we don't go out there alone. And the words aren't our own. They're your words. And may we, may we grasp that this morning. So, and if there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, that they might find you before they leave this place, that if they need help, that they could come down here to this altar and we would pray with them and explain with them. And we can accept you wherever we're at, Lord. But if there's somebody who needs your touch this morning, needs another brother or sister to gather around them and pray, that might, this might be the place. We give you praise and glory for who you are, Lord, for we all ask it in the precious name of Christ. Amen.